Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with the legendary Steve Sims today. I call him the most interesting man in the world. He does not want to take that title, but I'm telling you he is. So I'm excited to introduce you to Steve Sims today. I'm also excited to share what you will learn in today's episode. You're going to learn about how the most elite performers gain access. You're going to learn about how the most elite performers think, behave, act, and how engaging in those type of relationships and also how you can bring those relationships into your world and how that can elevate your business, how that can elevate your lifestyle, how that can elevate your money, how that can elevate your time, the way that you interact with your family, your health, how gaining access can create new and bigger opportunities in your future. Today's episode is pure, pure gold. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. Today is no different. I'm your host, Tyler Chester, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar together. Today, we're going to do that. We're gonna, I'm going hard today. I'm telling you right now, this is fun. This conversation is fun. I laughed a lot. I think you're going to laugh a lot. So let's have some fun and let's grow together because guess what? You know, growth doesn't have to be boring. It can actually be very, very fun. And so pull up a chair, uh, whatever you're doing, walk your dog, you know, drive to work, drive to the office have some fun. I just want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for listening to Elevate Podcast. I want to encourage you, if you have not done so already, go ahead and grab the link and share this with a friend because that's a fee that we ask for listening today is just to share this with someone else that you care about. Share this with someone in your network that you want to be more like. You know, it's like, hey, you know what? I, this this episode really made me think of you because I want to be more like you. I want to take my game to the next level like you have. I really appreciate you. I'm really inspired by you. That's the opportunity today. And I think that they will love this, this conversation as well. So share this with someone else, but also give us a rating, a review, and subscribe or follow LV Podcast if you haven't done so already. Thank you so much for listening to Elevate Podcast. If this is your first time listening to Elevate, welcome and welcome to the family. At the end of the day, this is family, Elevate Nation. We're all about lifting each other up. We're all about thinking big and being big for the greater good, not just to be selfish. Also, there is a little bit of selfishness, right? You got to be selfish to gain substantial wealth, like we'll talk about in today's episode. But it's not all about us. It's about doing bigger things for other people as well. And I think that so many people will benefit from that. Also, I want to hear feedback. Give me feedback. What do you like? What do you not like? What do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? Send me an email at info at elevatepod.com or a DM on Instagram at elevatepod. With that said, let's dive in. I want to introduce you to Steve Sims. 
And I got to ask you a question. Uh, let's start with this. Do you know anyone that's worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk? Sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed or closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party and then had Andrea Bocelli serenade them while they ate their pasta. Uh, do you know? Well, now you do because you're going to meet Steve Sims today. He was also quoted as the real life of Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. Steve Sims is a best selling author of Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. He's sought after coach and a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and association, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard twice. And he is full of wisdom and he is, he's the real deal. He's authentic. And I think you're really going to appreciate this real conversation for once, you know, it's like, there's not a lot of real out there, but we're going to continue to try to bring real stuff to you. And today is really the gold standard of that. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Steve Sims, the legendary Steve Sims. Welcome to Elevate, sir. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. There we go, man. I'm excited too. I appreciate you spending time with me today, man. I think that, um, you know, your story and the way that you approach life is so valuable. So I'm excited to share that with Elevate Nation today. Before we dive into our discussion, one question that I have for you is if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people who have known you longest or people that maybe even know you best today would describe you, what would you say about that? What would they say about Steve Sims? He's a curious, aggravated child. I think <laughs> those people that really know me, and let's be blunt, you know, there are, there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that think they know you, and then those those handful that do. So, yeah, aggravation and curious would definitely be, in, uh, would be in, um, an adjective for me. So curious is one that's obviously a pattern for most the, some of the most successful people that I think you and I have met in our life. And, and many of the listeners would say the same. Curiosity is obviously tremendously valuable. The one th that's unique about you is the aggravation. So tell me a little bit about that. I don't think it is. Um, aggravation is what causes us to actually gain momentum. You know, um, I remember first name drop of the podcast. I remember chatting with uh, Elon Musk and he said he couldn't understand why it took five days to transfer money from one US bank account to another US bank account when no money was actually moving. It was effectively just a email. It was just code from one reserve to another reserve. Why did it take five days? He was so aggravated. He disrupted the banking industry with PayPal. As a guy growing up in East London and not having any money and working on a building site and seeing someone drive by me in a nice car, I was aggravated going, well, how come they're doing it and I'm not? You know, so, mm. and that led me to, the, okay, how come? And then there was a the curiosity that kicked in. So that's why aggravation and curiosity creates movement. And that's what I would say I was. That's amazing. I, that, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, I, it, it reminds me of the quote from Thomas Jefferson, who said, all progress requires discontent. And it's almost, you know, that's that's almost what you're getting at. And, and at the end of the day, aggravation and discontent can be a gift. It can push us towards action, which is really what I believe is going to be a centerpiece of many of what we talk about today. But talk to the listeners a little bit about what you do. You know, obviously, I, I would I would almost describe you as the world's most interesting man. But tell the <laughs> listeners a little bit about what you do. Steve. <laughs> you would be wrong. Um, <laughs> so uh, my job makes me interested, uh, not who I am. So if we look at who I am, I'm a guy that drinks too much whiskey, drives around on motorcycles, loves actually talking to nobody, but just barbecuing and messing around in his garden. 
But my aggravation led me to launch the world's leading experiential concierge firm where I've been responsible for sending people down to the Titanic, getting people married in the Vatican by the Pope, closing down museums in Florence for a private dinner party of six people at the feet of Michelangelo's David and then having Andrea Bocelli surprise them and serenade them while they eat their pasta. So Forbes called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. I've worked for everyone from the Kentucky Derby, the New York Fashion Week, uh, to Sir Elton John's Oscar party. Um, at my peak, at my peak, I only had 93 clients with just over two-thirds of those being billionaires. Um, I have the most... Uh, influential people in the planet on speed dial. And that's what I did. I basically went out to create an experience that would wow very, very affluent, successful people. And it was a Trojan horse. Uh, the reason I did it was because as the young bricklayer in me, that curious, aggravated child I told you about, I wanted to be in a room with a very, very powerful, affluent person. And I wanted to ask them, why are you successful and I'm not? And that was it. I, I started a 25-year journey by um, doing a bit. And essentially, I did what you do on a podcast. I went out and asked the questions to very powerful people. And the only reason I got to be in the room was to get them to do a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses or something. And then fast forward today, four years ago, I released a book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Didn't expect it to take off, and it became a worldwide sensation. It's translated and bestseller in Russia. Poland, Korea, Thailand, Vietnam, all over the place. It's weird as hell. And now I train, speak, coach all over the planet on the art of communication and the art of making things happen. Man, I tell you what, way to drop the mic. I mean, you know, show, showing off a little bit here, your name dropping, you're doing something. Obviously, before I dive into my next actually follow up question to that, what is your favorite whiskey, man? What's 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 your go to? So a good friend, well, I won't say a good friend of mine, but a good associate of mine uh, runs the, uh, the Whiskey Academy and he summed it up best. The best whiskey is the one you're drinking with your buddies. Ah, there you go. That's what I love. It doesn't have to be a pappy. It could be, a, it could be, you know, a, a $10 bottle off the local CVS, but it's the one that you're drinking with your buddies. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. That's, that's awesome. And um, there is just something special about sharing a great glass of bourbon or whiskey with friends and, and yep. reminiscing, talking, you know, dreaming about the future. And so for you, like thinking about your backstory as kind of a bricklayer in London and, you know, just this, this aggravation for saying, well, why don't I have that? Why am I not like these guys? Why am I not, you know, successful in, in maybe many senses of the word word. And you started to ask that question and you started to say, well, what is it that makes you successful? So talk a little bit more about your, your backstory and kind of how this whole, you know, individual we know now as Steve Sims came to be, was it really just the basis of that question, the aggravation or what else is there to say about it? Do you know, I got the question wrong and I'm going to just drop that little pin there and we're going to come back to it about how I discovered I got my question wrong. Okay. Cause in order to get something right, nine times out of 10, you have to start by getting something wrong. That's good. So um, I was a bricklayer from East London and I walked onto the building site one day and on the building site was my dad, my uncle, my two cousins and my granddad who was knocking on to 80 years old. And I saw my generational tree in front of me. I, I saw my future and I thought, what the, is this really it? 
You spend all those years at school going, oh, you know, do this and learn this and get a job. And this is it. I'm going to be on the same building site as an 80-year-old. And I went up to my granddad at tea break time. Luckily, never got a smack in the nose for this question. But I said to him, granddad, did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were this old? Uh-oh. That's a pretty That's a pretty rude question. No uh, question. Of course, didn't, didn't realize he had the age of 16. But he didn't even look at me. He literally just said, son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. And I was like, shit. You know, wow. he's right. So I, I had, everyone, everyone is controlled by fear. Everyone reacts by, by fear. My fear wasn't in trying things that I was not qualified for or trying things and failing. My fear was to stand still. My fear was to be here and to be him tomorrow. So fear propelled me. So I tried a load of different jobs. And I thought to myself, if I want to be affluent, I need to surround myself with affluent people. It's no good surrounding myself with poor people. I know what that shit's like. That's me. So I don't need that. I'm educated enough on being poor. I need to surround myself with affluent people. So I tried everything from security guards, um, selling life insurance, yeah, many, many different jobs, air, air chars, yacht chars, um, luxury car rentals, trying to surround myself with people that were spending money that I had only ever dreamt about. And I got fired from every single one of those jobs. And I remember one day in my low point, now having a job as a doorman, my job description had gone from a skilled profession of a bricklayer and a bricklayer, a masonry. That's a, that's a noble trade. You know, you don't think so. You won't tell your wall falls down. You know, you need it <laughs> done right. Mm-hmm. Um, and here I am now jumping out of that. And my job description is to slap people. You know, <laughs> So I just thought I'd gone down. But I remember seeing people and starting to see, and that's, again, an entrepreneurial thing. When we're, when we're surrounded by distress, noise, distraction, we try to find the nugget. We try to find the growth. That's why there's been so many millionaires born during COVID, because those are people been the people that have reacted rather than having you know that action done to them. And so I went out to go. Well, how can I make this work for me? And I suddenly started noticing people in the club that I wanted to interact with. So by saying, "Hey, there's a club up the road that's doing a special promotion on Thursday. Do you want me to get you in?" I was getting them to have a reason to talk to me. And this is where we go back to the little pin. In the early stages, once I had got you into a club, got you into a premiere, got you backstage, once I had done something for you, so I always led with a win for you, then the conversation would go, hey, Tyler, did you enjoy going backstage? Oh, that was great. Hey, I have a question for you. How come you're rich and I'm not? (laughs) That was the first question. That was the worst question. I was going to say, what type of feedback did you get to that question? Oh, what do you think? It was terrible. Um, But again, you can only get good once you get going. Mm -hmm. So I would start with that. And they would look at me and they'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, hard work, Steve. How do you answer that? (laughs) You know, it's a shitty question because you ask someone how rich are you? And the first thing they start thinking about is how much is in the bank account? What's my net worth? It's a number, you know, and it's kind of, it's not an answer. So I was getting, I was getting friction from the answers. So I went, 
And I've always had this in my head. If I get the wrong answer, it's because I'm asking the wrong question. Yes. Loads of little quotes and quips here, boys and girls. So <laughs> I decided I'm going to change that question because it's shit. Getting too much friction. And you could just see it in the people's faces when they would go, oh, God, I've got to answer that question. So then I started saying to people, hey, i got a question for you. How come you're wealthy and I'm not? Still pretty shit question, because then I would get things like, I found God. I found my wife. I had children. I found a purpose. I found a meaning. I got involved in this charity. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to join your religion and marry your wife. So this doesn't help me. <laughs> so it wasn't a very good question. It made sense, but it wasn't giving me actionable answers. So then I tweaked it to the third one, which became a charm. How are you successful? And I'm not. That was it. Everyone sees success as a different thing. They may see it as money. They may see it as religion. They may see it as mindset, opportunity, positioning, how they handle people, keeping their word. It worked out to be the home run of all questions. And so in the early stages, I would ask, how are you successful? And I'm not. And I found that everything I wanted was a byproduct of doing something else. If you think about you grow up, you want to be rich. You can't be rich. There's only one way to be rich, buy a lottery ticket. Hmm. That's the only way you gain that money without actually having to action anything. It's like people that buy a diet book and think they're going to lose weight. You lose weight as a byproduct of taking the actions on your health and your exercise. You gain financial stability by taking actions on how you invest, how you work, how you, how you optimize your life. So money in the bank account was a byproduct, but we stare at it. It's like a deer in headlights. The deer doesn't get hurt by the headlights. It, get hit, it gets hurt by the fucking great car behind it. You know, so that's what I was realizing. The people were looking over here on the money. They needed to start over here on the mindset. Mm -hmm. And I could take that out of a conversation that second. Someone could go, well, I look at opportunity by this and I add it up to three things. And I'd be like, I'm going to start doing that. It didn't cost me. It doesn't cost anyone anything to change that mindset. So I started doing it. And then as I would action it, you imagine if you get an hour long conversation with Elon Musk and he gives you 10 tips on being a better businessman. The biggest thing you can do wrong is to not action those things. Yeah, no question. You know, but if you action them, you grade up, you step up, you level up. So I started doing that and it got to a situation where I was just doing all these amazing things just to have those conversations. And then I was up in my game and it got to a point where I'm now living in a penthouse in Geneva. I'm, I'm working with some of the greatest events like uh, Monaco, uh, Formula One, Ferrari, Stard, Cartier. I'm working with most affluent people in the world. Now I could edit the question to be, hey, how do you, how do you feel you're so successful when so many people are not? Mm. Because I was now benefiting. I didn't have to turn around and go, how are you successful? And I'm not because now I was. Now I was realizing that I'm getting all the byproducts I want out of taking the actions. And so that's how the whole growth came about. And that's how that question really got tweaked around. I love the, I mean, there's so much there, but you can only get good until you get going is such a great takeaway. And your question, just the, the way that you iterated that question over time, 
to make it more impactful and to help people kind of think and prompt other people to give you ideas is beautiful. And I love the fact that it wasn't about wealth or, or money and it ultimately success was really what you're trying to get down to because everybody defines success differently. But I just think about really, you know, ultimately that it was not only that iteration of that question, but you just innately knew that you needed to surround yourself with other people who are doing what you wanted to do. It's almost like that was true to the core. You, you almost knew that you followed your nose. And so I feel like over time you've recognized that there's this massive ROI in relationships, which is why that's kind of the centerpiece of, of what you do. So could you talk a little bit about how that's helped you change? I do want to get back to what are some of the mindset shifts that you started making early to kind of, you know, make those leaps from perhaps poor to maybe, you know, not poor and then beyond. And we could talk about that, but talk to me about how did you realize that the ROI of relationships was going to be so substantial? So I'm, I'm 55. Um, I grew up in an era that I didn't have Instagram to point out how inadequate my life was. Um, but I remember, you know, riding a motorcycle over to my local pub with my boys and we'd sit in the bar and I suddenly looked around the room. I remember this vividly. I can tell you the color. I can even tell you the music that was playing. It was Fleetwood Mac. That's how vivid it was. Um, and I remember looking around the room at a bunch of working class Brits. And there was bikes and vans and trucks outside. And this was a pub that basically, you know, if you wanted wine, you know, what did you want, white or red? You know, and they got the box out that, you know, worked on that. And here's your beer, you know, here's your bag of crisps. And that was it. You know, it wasn't a fancy place at all. And I looked around and I realized everyone in this room was broke. Everyone in this room had no momentum. Everyone in this room had no demands for anything. But that all settled that this is my life. And there was the sons in there with their dads and the granddads. And I thought to myself, I'm in the wrong room. You know, and I, it was way before, you know, you, you got the chance to read your Tony Robbins or any of the Zig Ziglar's or any of that. I didn't have any books. I never grew up with books. Didn't know what a book was. Um, books are what other people, you know, read. Um, but I realized if you want to change your life, the first thing you've got to do is change your environment. And that environment can be your room, your family, the conversations. And so I went out and I remember doing this. I thought to myself, how do rich people act? And is it the same as my poor ass friends? Because I was poor and I knew what that was like. So there was a wine bar that had opened up in our area, these trendy wine bar things. And I remember going in there one night and I ordered a beer and they had this exotic import beer. Okay. It was a Corona. <laughs> and I remember in London, this was an exotic imported beer from that faraway land of Mexico. Um, and I got this beer and it was twice the price of a pint of British beer for half the amount of beer. And so <laughs> I spent two hours laboring over this thing with my little wedge of lime in the top and just looking at how people interacted, how people showed up, eavesdropping. I looked terrible, you know, but I'm a big, ugly lad. So, you know, I never really got confronted much, but, you know, I was, I was like this eavesdropping in on people's conversations to hear how they talk. Now you get a lot of people in those areas that make out that something, 
But through the crowd, you could suddenly start noticing those people that belonged and those people that didn't. And I clearly didn't, but I didn't try to look as though I belonged. I, I was just there. I was just me. And bearing in mind, I wasn't trying to impress anyone. You know, I was just, and I would end up getting into conversations and I would only end up with one. I would go home, I would go home and on the way home, go past the local petrol station and pack up a six pack because I hadn't been able to drink anything at this bar because I couldn't afford shit. But, you know, grabbing a a few coldies, you know, I was already to do, but I would just end up having conversations because I had nothing to prove. I suddenly realized I was having conversations with people that really had it. You know, there was all these people going, oh, hi, um, where are you from? Who are you? Oh, do, do you have an expensive watch? Oh, you don't. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> but the funny thing is, and I remember this from a, a, a gentleman that owns the largest Ferrari dealership in Texas. He said, the guy that turns up on a Saturday afternoon wearing a suit to look at a Ferrari, he can't <laughs> afford it. But the guy that turns up with sneakers on and a, a pair of shorts on a Tuesday, it's probably on his third. You know, so it's amazing how people actually interact and how many people actually pretend. And that was the kind of thing that really shook me. And that was the kind kind of thing that, again, just got me on my journey of discovery and curiosity to see how people do things differently. So what were those mindset shifts that you made early and what are the mindset shifts that you're making now? Because I'm sure they're very different, right? They're, you had to go, you had to make a huge leap from the perspective that you had then. And I'm assuming you're continuing to grow now. Obviously there's two different vantage points. Talk to us about some of those early mindset shifts. Obviously I think spending time with other people, there's some of, you know, a little bit of osmosis. We become who we spend our time with. So there's a little bit of that that may be unconscious or subconscious, but there are some things that are conscious, right? You've got to be conscious of how the way you ask questions, the type of questions that you ask, the type of interactions that you have, the way you think. But talk a little bit about the mindset shift that you made earlier, maybe some examples of of some mindset shifts that you made early. So as I was interviewing powerful people and getting these answers, it actually only came down to the same answers, which was weird. It's like you stick 50 entrepreneurs in a room and say, hey, what do you need to focus on today? You're going to get scalability, marketing, branding. But out of those 100 people, it's going to come down to probably five same same problems. As I was asking successful people how come they were successful, it came down to basically the same things. Um, One of them was, and you've already brought it up, um, relationships. They work heavily on relationships. And they actually work on um, you've seen it on movies. Like I love the idea. Let's grab, uh, you know, a, a cocktail later and talk about it. Or let's go have lunch. Or let's play golf and we'll discuss that. And you think, oh, that's what rich people do. But you don't understand. Rich people join uh, partnerships and get involved when you share a culture. And they do that. Let's have a drink. Let's have lunch. Let's play golf to see if you are the same cultural fit. So they get involved in opportunities based on cultural uh, resonation between each other. Here's the thing. If me and you connect on the same belief, the same point, the same impact, the same drive, the same vision, the same focus, the skills that you don't have, shit, I can send you on a course to learn those but I can't send you on a course to get the same, same culture as me. So valuable. So they, 
So, yeah, so they retain people on culture. Anyone can bullshit. How many times have you seen someone that's got a resume that makes them look like they should be lecturing at Harvard, <laughs> but they're a dipshit and an arsehole and you don't want anything to do with them? Right. Okay. So quite simply, focus on the culture of anyone in your relationships and align yourself with culture. That was the first thing I know is culture. Second thing was time. They value time differently to you and me. They go, hang on, I can make more money. You know, I can do this, I could do that, but I can't make more time. So they value time more, more than you. They question that time. Inherently, they have a selfish streak, which I love and admire. And people think selfish is a bad thing. It's absolutely not. If you're not selfish, you're going to be broke. Okay. And then the third thing is impact. They look at any moment, any time, any opportunity, where's the impact in this? What's it going to move the needle on? What's it going to, is it my resources? Is it my finances? Is it education? Is it legacy? Where's the impact? No impact, not playing. So they focus on impact a lot of the time. And I think those have been the things. I will literally have half a day available to me or a day available or an hour. And I'll go, okay, what can I do with this hour? I know I can't get it back. I know I can't repeat it. I know I can't recreate or emulate it or buy a pack of it from Amazon. So what can I do with this hour that's going to make great impact? Is it going to be to binge watch shit on Netflix? No. Is it going to be just to walk down the high street and get in tune with my thoughts? Maybe, because that produces clarity. So just ask yourself, what are you going to do in this hour that's going to benefit you? Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line. 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcaploc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. And I think it's it's really important and really insightful. You think about culture, you think about you know relationships, obviously, because I it's so interesting you put it that way. I've never heard anybody say that because you know, a lot of times in real estate, as an example, for us to find more opportunities or for us to optimize opportunities or for us to receive deals off market or direct to sell or whatever, it ultimately comes down to that relationship. And it's so interesting that you put it that way because we align in terms of how we see the world, right? Or how we, what our values are. And we at least appreciate each other as individuals. And I think that that's really interesting because sometimes people talk about, well, how do you actually get business done on the golf course as an example, or going to a football game or spending time at a bar, you know, drinking whiskey. It's like, that's what it's all about. It's about understanding who we are as people, because we have all these things, these tools, these, this technology that we can connect with people across the world. And we have all these things, but ultimately the principles are timeless. And you start with culture. I think that's super interesting time and impact of course, as well. But what are some other ways that you're, you're optimizing or you're observing, you know, mindset shifts on your own, because you're continuing to spend time with people like Elon Musk and people across the world. Are there any other shifts that you're making now as 
as well. And I do want to get to the art of communication as well, because I think that's a really insightful expertise that you have as well. But talk to me about how are you, what other shifts are you making currently in your mindset? So there's, there's two. Um, one is again, fear, you know, Joe Pollard, and we said about the get going and get good. That's Ari Mizell. I want to give credit. He came out with that statement. So Ari Mizell is a very sharp guy and I'm going to drop uh, Joe Polish on the next quote. He actually said to me that the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been. Mm. Now, I, that really resonated with me because I always took opportunity, even when they were bad, even when I hadn't checked the cultural tick box and suddenly ended up in an opportunity with someone I couldn't relate to. That taught me what I did wrong. So the two things that drive me is one, my fear, my terrifying fear of being in the exact same place today that I am next year. Now, let me, let me, you know, get out the uh, violins. I'm okay. You know, (laughs) I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. I'm not upset. Um, But I don't want to be in this place next year. I wanted to have tried. I wanted to have grown. I wanted to have felt, I wanted to have experienced. If I don't have any of those things, then what was the year worth? So I value it when it goes wrong. And I noticed one of those things you say about the app from people. I remember, and again, our name drop. Do you remember when Elon Musk worked out that one of the most expensive things about space travel was the massive great fuel cells on the sides of rockets? Yes. So he worked out, hey, if we can get those back, refuel them and send them up again, we cut our costs down. All right. Amazing, and- right? Childlike, wasn't it? NASA hadn't worked <laughs> it out for fucking 60 years. Right. Elon comes along four years later, completely disrupted space travel. So do you remember watching it on news when the thing would like hover down on that floating platform? It would float, hover, land, tip over and explode. Do you remember seeing that? I'll never forget it. You saw it quite a few times because it happened quite a few times. When was the last time you saw it actually fall over and explode? I mean, it, it, the, the level of precision that it works every time now, it blows my mind. But it doesn't make the news anymore, does it? No, of course not. No, of course not, because it works. <laughs> I remember being there, I think, on the second time that this happened, and I was down in um, Hawthorne at the SpaceX plant. And we're all kind of glued up against the glass, watching this thing come down on the big screens. And everyone's watching all of these numbers and charts and dials. And they're all watching all of this stuff. And it, it landed. And then the, 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 fuel, the rocket boosters started to go off. And it tips over like in slow motion and explodes. <laughs> now, everyone at the back of the room, we all went... <gasps> And we all held our breath and leaned back. But as I was leaning back, I noticed something that happened to everyone in the room. No one leant back. They leant forward. Physically, their body, they literally straight away leaned in to look at the trajectory, to look at the degrees, to look at the boosting, to look at the angles, to look at all other numbers that I couldn't understand to try and find out where it went wrong. So successful people lean into problems, lean into mistakes, lean into failures to see where the education is. And that was it. When I leant back, I suddenly realized that unsuccessful people lean back. Successful people lean in. 
Oh my God. That's amazing. And it's, it's this physical manifestation of this, like your stance in your body, which then relates into how you think and how you behave, how you act, how you, you know, how do you look at a problem instead of saying, Oh, what was me? I'm back on my heels. I'm on my toes because yep. now I'm moving forward. It's interesting. I mean, is there any other like body states that you've recognized that turn into thinking and behaving similarly as, or I, maybe that's the only one, but I'm just curious that I've never heard that before. I have heard that your, your, your mind is a reaction to your body. Um, I've noticed that. So, you know, if you stand up tall and your head's back, your mind's more open. If you're slouched over and you're depressed and you're looking through the top of your eyelids, your mind's closed off. So your mind actually is a, is a byproduct of how you actually stand it. It's, it's basically you've got to show up and be prepared. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're prepared, when you're open, your brain up there reacts to that and goes, all right, we're ready. Bring it on. I, I jokingly call it the yellow car sy uh, syndrome. Okay. You've never seen a yellow car on the road. Now you can change the color to any color you like. The examples are, you've never seen a pink one. You've never seen a blue one. You've never seen a green one until your mate turns up with one of those. <laughs> and then what's the only bloody thing you can see the following day? Yellow cars. Uh, we bought a, a Ford Raptor. It was one of the only cars I've ever owned. I ride motorcycles, but we needed a truck for my dirt bikes. And I went out and I bought a Ford Raptor and I wanted it in gray or black. And the only one they had available was white. And I bought this white Raptor and I thought to myself, I've got a bloody white truck now. Who the hell has a white truck? <laughs> Until I drove home. And do you know, that was the only damn thing I could see on the road. Everywhere. So when your mind, oops, when your mind is open to opportunity, it's open to opportunity. When it's closed, you can't see anything. But the second you start seeing those yellow cars, as soon as you start seeing that opportunity, that's all your mind can see is opportunity. Oh man, you have to open your mind to opportunity. And, and there's so many ways that we can do that, right? We can feed our mind opportunity. Like I think about setting goals. I think about, you know, setting intentions of, you know, Hey, how do I want to interact with Steve? How do I want to interact with the next hour? Whatever it is I have in front of me, but also what is it that I dream of? What really speaks to me? And then even distilling that into, you know, like a vision board or surrounding yourself with people who can help you get there. Now I think about the phrase so often, who, not how Dan Sullivan, he talks about who, not how he wrote the book, who, not how that's what your life really is all about. And these lessons have come from who's right. All these different amazing who's around you. I, I did want to go back to the, the first principle thinking of Elon Musk that you just shared. We've got to give a big shout out to you. You brought up Dan. Dan's my boy. I like Dan, Dan and Bab. So big shout out to the Sullivan's up there. It's strategic. Huge shout out, huge shout out. They've made such an impact on so many entrepreneurs, so many so people. Many. And um, I mean, that question, it's like it, you know, there's not very many letters in that question, who, not how, but I tell you what, it is so impactful. And I just think that this, this conversation is so critical because of that. But you, I was thinking about the per first principles thinking that you shared with Elon Musk. I mean, like he had a beginner's quote unquote, beginner's mindset in the way that you could reduce expenses for a spacecraft. And how can we apply that type <laughs> of thinking to anything else that we're doing, any other problem that we're looking to solve? And look, it's not going to be perfect in our first go, but we can continue to iterate and go. And that's where you really start to make 
make massive change and massive impact at the end of the day, not only financially, but otherwise. So Steve, I want to, I want to talk about communication because I think that's a critical component of developing and strengthening relationships. We've been talking about the ROI of relationships, the way that we have a perspective on the world, the way that we attract opportunities and execute on those opportunities. But talk to me about the art of communication, because this is something that I'm, I'm sure that you've been very passionate about over the years of refining. But what have you learned? What, what patterns have you observed in terms of elite communication? Biggest pattern I've noticed is how crap everyone's getting at it. Um, it really, it really is. No, we're, we're terrified. We're terrified to have a conversation. I stand here now and I go, if I say to you, Donald Trump, black lives matter, me too, Asian hate, it's going to trigger people. Triggered man. Big time. Okay. Someone somewhere is going to be triggered by those conversations, by those statements. Right. And everyone's blaming COVID. For it, everyone's saying that COVID has destroyed the ability for us to communicate and to actually get together. I'm calling bullshit. Our ability to communicate it started started dying the second you started posting pictures of your newborn baby up on MySpace and Friendster. Mm-hmm. Okay, the second we started outsourcing how we communicate to platforms to media. We started getting it bad. How many people have actually posted a picture of that newborn baby and then got pissed off because it only got two likes? But in the old days, what would we do? We'd phone up our buddies and go, hey, I'm now a dad. And you'd have 20 buddies come over, smoke cigars and drink whiskey. You know, (laughs) we've got really bad at it. We're also in in a catcher society, you know. What did you dress up as in in Halloween in 1995? Did you dress up as a an Asian person? Right. Oh my God, I'm going to post that pic. We're in that kind of society. So what are we doing? Instead of having communication and conversations on things that bother us, we've actually elected not to have conversations at all. We're terrified to say something in case any, ta- any part of it is taken out of context and you are labeled a sexist, a racist, a bigot, an idiot. You know, mm-hmm. how many times do we look for that one little bit and then go, oh, look at him. He's such a moron. OK, we're terrified. We have to push through that. We have to bring back the art of communication. And here's the dumb thing. When you do, people want to engage with you. People want to communicate with you. Now, not everyone's going to uh, agree with my views and opinions, but guess what? I have an opinion. And if I don't understand what you're arguing about, I'm going to ask you to help me understand. Have a conversation with me. Tell me, why is this bothering you? Or educate me so that I can make sure I'm no longer ignorant. That's what we should be doing, but we're not. But those that are, are conquering the world. Those that are going, hey, I see you're distressed. I see you're upset. I see you're angered. Can you help me understand where you're coming from? You know, that's what we should be doing. The art of communication is dying, but here's the dumb thing. Thanks to AI, thanks to transactions. And I heard a report the other day, which scared the shit out of me, really terrified me. And it was a report that kids under the age, I think it was like under the age of 16 or under the age of 17, spent longer talking to AI per month than they do their best friends. That is terrifying. 
I thought to myself, that's got to be bullshit because there's no way. In, I see my kids on the phone. I see my kids on PlayStation. I see my kids nattering all the time. There's no way in the world they're spending longer talking to AI than they did. So I did some digging. And when you say to your kid, hey, make sure you do this room, what's the first thing they do? They pick up their phone and go, hey, Siri, remind me to do that. Hey, Alexa, turn on the music. Hey, Siri, do that. They bark commands, and if you combine all of those two-second commands, it ended up being something like an hour and like 45 minutes, but apparently it was only an hour and 20 minutes that they ended up speaking to their best mate. So collectively, they spend longer talking to Siri than they do their best friend. That's killing communications. That's ass backwards. We've got to get back to actually having a conversation. I actually do. I run these events called speakeasies. I'm not pitching them, but I get people uncomfortable. One of these silly little things I did was at the beginning of the speakeasy, I said, everyone leave your bags here. We're going to go and have a coffee. And I marched them out in San Francisco to a local uh, Starbucks. Nothing surprising there to start with. And I gave every single one a challenge. You've got to engage in a three-minute conversation with someone. Okay? And you've got to do it by the till. Okay? So, this is what happens. And tell me if I'm wrong. You know, call me out. Okay. You go up to the till in Starbucks. You order your mocha frappa lape, whatever the bloody concoction <laughs> is. Is that what you get? Yeah, that's me with, with a twist. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> and then what do they do? Whoever's ordered their coffee, this is what happens. These are the, the, the steps that happen following their order. They step to the right, and good Lord, dare they stand in silence for three seconds waiting for their coffee. The first thing they do is whip out their phone. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens for anybody that's listening to this. When they pull their phone out at a Starbucks, they don't pick it up with one hand. They pick it up with two. And now remove the phone from their hands. They're in the fifth position. They're in the guard physical position. Wow. Think about it and watch it. Do this. Check yourself. So what they're in, they're in a guarded shielded position. Now holding a phone almost as a defense mechanism as they're doing stuff. You try and strike up a conversation with someone when they're in their physiological position. They will look at you like you are a mugger. They will literally go, what are you doing? You know, can't you see I'm busy playing Tetris or, you know, shopping on Amazon or checking the Instagram feed? They look at you. And it was really chat. I had so many people fail at striking up a three-minute conversation. Wow. And I remember I went up there, and it was my turn, you know. So I went up there, ordered my coffee, stepped aside. There was a girl there. I'm 55, big, ugly fellow, and there's this young teenage girl, you know, maybe 20, maybe 21, something like that. I already look like a pervert by striking up a conversation <laughs> with her, but hey. I had to strike up this conversation. My whole squad and tribe were behind me. And she is with her phone, hands up, clutching onto this phone. And next to her was a woman and a a mother and her young daughter. Daughter was maybe seven years old or something like that. I had to strike up a conversation. So stood next to this girl. I looked down at her shoes and I went, hey, I love your shoes. Where'd you get your shoes from? Do you know the first thing she did? 
She didn't answer me. She looked down at her feet as though she couldn't possibly remember what bloody shoes she put on that morning. <laughs> and she looked at the shoes and she looked at me and she went, uh, I've got them in the mall. And she was like so unchallenged. She did unreceptive, did not want this conversation. And I went, they're really pretty. I know my wife's been looking for a pair of shoes like that. You know, what store did you get them from? Pursuing the conversation. Right. She wanted all to do with this. She wanted <laughs> nothing to do with this. Glared at me like I was an old perv and should get out of coffee store. And this little girl was looking at this. The mum was oblivious to the conversation or trying to avoid it, avoid it. But the little girl, kids scout, don't they? They're constantly, what's going on in the world? What's happening here? She's looking around. She looks at me. And I looked at her and I went, they're pretty shoes, aren't they? And this little girl went, they are pretty shoes. <laughs> and I went, I know my wife was looking at some shoes like that. And I think she'd like those. You know, what do you think? And she was like, yeah, she would. She would. You know, <laughs> she doesn't awesome. know my wife. But you know what happened? The mum smiled at me now because I was now having a little conversation with this girl. Then something happened. The teenage girl was now feeling left out. She's the focus of the damn conversation, but she'd make it very firm. I don't want to be part of the conversation. She smiled <laughs> at the little girl. And the little girl said, I do like your shoes. And then the girl turned around to me and she went, I actually got them from and started. Wow. And do you know what she did? She took her hand off the phone. She still had her phone up, but she took one hand off the phone. Now I had her physiologically fronting me. She was now opening up physically, mm -hmm. opening up. She'd taken one hand off her phone. She went, actually, I've got these. There's a more just down the road. And she entered into a conversation. And so then the mum started talking and we ended up conversing. And then I went back to my tribe. Man. But it was so hard and so forceful at the beginning because we don't like to converse. We go into McDonald's. We don't want to have a conversation. You get your coffee, you step aside. Everything's delivered. You take it, you move away. We've got to start getting back to that because communication. I could download an app to teach me how to build a bridge. I could download an app to work out my finances. Hell, I could probably download an app somewhere to do some form of medical surgery or something. <laughs> But you cannot download an app on communicating. You cannot outsource the necessity to have a conversation. And if you want to have a conversation in the real estate, the investment, it's going to come down to a communication. Sooner or later, it's going to come down to having a conversation. And that's going to be the win or the lose every single time. And you cannot outsource relationships. That's, you cannot outsource it. It just can't happen. You can't buy it either. You know, how many programs do you do you get involved in? They have a loyalty program. Right. Okay. That's not loyalty. That's bribery. Let's be completely blunt. If you could buy something somewhere else cheaper, you don't care about how many points you've built up at Amazon. You don't have a relationship with Amazon. If anyone here thinks they have a relationship with Amazon, I dare you. Phone up this afternoon and go, hey, I'm thinking of changing my toilet roll. Which one should I get? There's no number you can call to communicate with Amazon. Mm. They don't want your relationship. They want your transaction. 
That's so interesting, man. There's such a big difference in relationship and transaction. And and I know many of the real estate investor listeners can relate to that and resonate with that. But it's so interesting that the bar is so low in terms of the art of communication nowadays. And and I appreciate the fact that you went there because now it's like, let's go, let's get back to the basics. Let's focus on our body language. Let's focus on how do we, how are we listening to someone else? How are we showing appreciation and respect to other people? And then we can build from there. Uh, Man, this is, this is good, Steve. I think we're going to have to do part two and part three. I'm just going to plant that seed, but <laughs> let's transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire, right? It's rare to take your hands down from the phone and show someone a little bit of respect, right? And, and start, you know, to put yourself in the opportunity to gain access to each other, to build a relationship with each other, to utilize relationships, to accelerate your goals so that it's good for the, for the greater good. So you can make impact on someone else, but tell you what, man, that's what really, the theme of our conversation is, but I want to ask you a few questions before we wrap today. If we had to, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, obviously being a prolific author yourself now, um, what would you point to and why? Wow. Um, two books I really enjoyed. Well, for one, anything by Jay Abraham. And Jay's going to, if he hears this, he's going to, he's going to thump me. He's a, a good friend. Jay was in the era of sales and communication. And of course, as soon as digital came across, he was no longer no longer trendy and appropriate and relevant. Okay. Sorry, Jay. He's more relevant now than he was back in the 80s. Okay. So anything by Jay Abraham, you gotta read. One book that I just absolutely love because it so well outlines what we're going through in today's media is Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. It's a phenomenal book. Um, and Ryan's done a great job uh, with that, but that really resonated with me. I also like Nair Ayal's uh, Hooked. Yeah. Um, that was a that was a phenomenal book that teaches you how the world is actually optimizing your attention and how it sends you down rabbit holes. And when you know how the game's played, you get to see things a bit differently. It's the yellow car syndrome. When you know how you're being led, you kind of go, ah, here we go. I'm not going there. So <laughs> those are the books I really liked. Yeah, big shout out to Nir Ayal, a former Elevate guest himself. Um, we'll definitely put links in the show notes to to his book as well as to Jay Abraham's book, but also Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen by Steve Sims. I definitely <laughs> highly recommend the book and uh, want to encourage the listeners to check that out. But Steve, thanks for giving us an insight on some things that have made an impact on you while reading. But Steve, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? To uh, make attempts. Um, I realized that the first thing as entrepreneurs, whether it be investors, whether it be speakers, whether it be coaches, whether it be podcast hosts, whatever you do, you've got to realize that the first time you do anything, it's going to be shit. Once you've given yourself that get out, you try loads of things and I try lots of things and I'm shit at a lot of things, but those things that have a little bit of kind of movement and momentum in them. I can then focus on getting good. So I'm constantly trying different things. Always, always, always trying different things. And I know that super well myself. I mean, as starting this podcast, you know, it's, it was rough. I don't even want to listen to some of the early podcasts. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so. I remember when I started, I've got a podcast called The Art of Making Things Happen. And a friend of mine who's very, very successful in podcasts um, said to me, all right, 
Apple only allow you to upload the first day. This is bullshit, by the way. But he says they only allow you to do a podcast when you've got 18 episodes. So get the 18 episodes oh, up wow. and then call me. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. So I recorded 18 episodes and I called him and I said, okay, why am I doing 18 episodes? And he said, because your first ones are shit. <laughs> and I said, oh, you haven't listened to him. He went, no, you listen to him. And I guarantee you that'd be shit. Like, he said, so, <laughs> yeah, he said, what you can do now before you've launched them into the world and you look terrible, you can listen to those 18 and pick five, six, four, you like, and start there. And out of those 18, I think we ended up with six. Um, they were just passable. But the first few, I pray never see the light of day. Um, but once you give yourself that kind of get out, hey, the first one's going to be shit. You okay? So, so do try those things. Yeah, and it reminds me of the questions that you were asking early on in, in your journey. So that that's awesome, Steve. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Challenge them. Uh, I like to laugh at people. You know, is that it? Is that what you're going for? You know, kind of, come on, step your game up. You know, don't waste my time or yours. So I'm I'm there constantly. You know, I coach people and I train people, and I do it with rough love. Um, I'm not there to abuse anybody, but I am there to up your game and get your standards higher. Never live by anyone else's standards, live by yours and make sure yours are what other people want to aspire to. So I'm constantly pushing people. Steve, my goodness, you pushed us today and you challenged us. I want to acknowledge you for challenging so many people, for pushing the limits, for thinking bigger, for expanding the way that you, you know, communicate with other people, for expanding relationships and for doing that for a greater reason rather than just being selfish yourself, man. I just want to acknowledge you in so many Thank different you. ways. I, I'm, I'm so grateful for this conversation. I want to encourage the listeners to go check out the Art of Making Things Happen podcast. Also, of course, Bluefish. Again, we'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find that. But Steve, any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Demand more. Be curious. Demand more. Uh, expect more. Those are the two things. Demand more and then expect more. Um, and just live your life as, uh, as you should and not as you are. SteveDSims.com is where you can find Steve. Also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Instagram, Twitter is at SteveDSims. Of course, we'll put you know all this in the in the show notes as well. But Steve, is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you? I have a free Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. Um, I throw stuff in there. Or if you want to kind of get more of me, simsdistillery.com. But if you want something free just to find out if I'm really your tone, An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. That's my free Facebook group. Beautiful. Beautiful. Steve, until next time, my friend, thanks so much for being on the show. Appreciate you. Elevate Nation, if you're not ready to run through a wall, I'm not sure if you have a pulse right now because Steve Sims just drops so much wisdom on us. And it's just so interesting because you think about the nuances and the little tiny things that he shared with us today that are huge things, that are humongous things. You think about just listening to other people and engaging in conversation, but also asking questions and making attempts and making iterations and trying and failing and doing and questioning the way things are done. Change, 
and asking other people, you know, what makes you successful and others not? I mean, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about this podcast is that I'm able to ask people like that and, and you can en- engage in those answers and those conversations. But ultimately that's really what this was all about. So I hope that you found tremendous value from this. I know I did. And I can tell you that his spirit is, is one of, of giving and challenging. And I think that's what we need. I think we need someone to bring us back to the basics and say, you know what, this is what's going on with communication. I mean, we're, we, we're not engaging with each other. We're not stepping out on a limb and talking about what we really think anymore. So what is it that, you know, you felt called out on today? What is it that you feel like, wow, you know what? I am not showing up in my own authentic self. What is it that you need to make a shift on that going to give, that can give you the opportunity to conquer the world or have more impact or have more influence or start to gain new access to new relationships? You know, is there an inventory of the current relationships that you have that you're making a, a shift on, or maybe that you feel like, I feel like I got called out today. What is it that you feel called out on today? What is it that you feel aggravated about? Because man, that was a calling card as well. We should not shy away from our aggravations. We should allow them to propel us forward. And I think that's what happened today. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show as many times as it takes, because there's, there's some deep, deep wisdom here that you can apply to your life and your business immediately. The way that you engage with others, as far as your relationships, whether they're in business or whether they're in your future, think about that and re-listen to this repetition is the mother of all skill, but also discuss with others because that's how we learn. We learn more when we have a discourse with other people. I want to also encourage you to identify what's the number one takeaway that you had from today's episode. What was the number one thing that you learned from Steve today? The great Steve Sims, the legendary Steve Sims. What are the top two or three things that you learned as well? If you want to take it a step further, I want to encourage you to do that. Most importantly, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to take massive action. So until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.